welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we hope you join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We are located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After the message, take a moment and visit our website at vcctulare.com. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. starting a new series this morning, and this gospel was written by a guy who would tell us that he is really Jesus' best friend, and he would have no bones to tell you that. I mean, he would just be like, I was just his best friend, and, and let me tell you all the stories. And a really neat guy who radically changed because of Jesus, changed the direction of his life, but more importantly, uh, changed the lives of a lot of people by what he wrote down about his experience with Christ uh, through the Holy Spirit. Now, usually I do a whole kind of intro sermon on a new series about the guy, uh, the, the, you know, about the author. But in this case, I decided I, I would do a little bit, but not too much, because all the way through the book of John, he kind of reveals himself. And sometimes it's very softly. Sometimes it's very like, wow, you know, and some of the other stuff that I've studied about John, he's been so kind of just so pointed, so truthful, so kind of almost in your face. But sometimes he comes through so subtly, so softly. And then there's other times where <laughs> he is just like, I was just so special to Jesus. And let me tell you why I was special to Jesus. And you're like, dude, John, relax a little bit, you know. He kind of goes both ways. So it'll be a lot of fun as we go through this. But it's the four, fourth gospel of the New Testament. And testament really means covenant. So Jesus brought us a new covenant. Uh, the old one was, was uh, in a sense, ratified on Mount Sinai with, with Moses. But it goes all the way back to Abraham. And that was the Old Testament. We call, we call it the Old Testament. Really, it's the Old Covenant. And the New Testament is, is the, new, uh, the new covenant. And Jesus brought this new covenant when he came. And he lived and he died on the cross and was resurrected. And he ascended to the Father gave us the Holy Spirit and said, because of me and the Holy Spirit, you can do it. And that is my new covenant to you. You can survive in this world. You can change this world. You can live this life before you come live eternal life with me. And it's because of what I did on the cross and because I gave you the Holy Spirit. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I will take you into eternity with me. This is the covenant that I have with you. This is a covenant that we really share with John as we go through and study this book. Who actually walked with Jesus. Who actually was out fishing one day with his brother James and his father named Zebedee. And it's kind of a, a fun play on, on words there because Zebedee means thunder. And everybody in Capernaum and, and Bethsaida, you know, called these two boys the sons of thunder. And we've kind of, as we went, think way back to Philippians right after I came and, 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 you know, all the sermons about that. And John just, you know, we talked about the sons of thunder and, I mean, uh, not Philippians, first John. But, uh, you know, their teachers actually, uh, called them the sons of thunder. I'm sure in their report cards it was written next to it, too much thunder. Uh, so, you know, John will be a fun one to watch. But we see in, in modern-day TV, we see these videos and, and, and different shows about these old men that are middle-aged men walking along beside Jesus, and, and you know all the fishermen look older. But if the video was accurate, especially John, they would look much younger than that. So as we go through this book, 
Think of John as a young man. As we went through 1 John, and we talked, we did a couple sermons on Revelations, uh, you know, we thought of John as the old man, the man, the disciple of love that used to be the son of thunder. Well, now you need to change your mind. You need to switch your mind back to John actually being the son of thunder and doing things that people look around and going, oh, John, what, what are you thinking? You know, and saying things like, oh, man, he should not have said that. Oh, Jesus is not going to be happy with that one. Or the other disciples aren't going to be happy with that one. Because, you know, we all laugh at Peter because we all know Peter's mistakes, but we forget about the other personalities of the other disciples. But John, you know, it's ironic because we're studying a book where God calls a guy old. And you're sitting there going, okay, thanks, God. You know, the, the man of eternity, the, the Lord of all eternity calling you old. That, that, that's pretty old. But, we, you know, we see that, that Joshua was called old. And here we're going to see a young man that the Lord just uses mightily. And it's interesting because it shows us no matter what age we are, God can and will use us when we're willing to be used. And that is just a comfort. That is just, I tell you, you know, as a young man starting out in ministry, that was a great comfort. But as I get older and I look at through the Bible and just all the different people the Lord uses, it's a great comfort all through my life to see at different ages, different points, how God used different people and go, okay, there's hope for me. The Lord still wants to use me. That's a good thing. But John couldn't have been much older because he was still writing to us in 90 A.D. So do the math. Jesus is crucified, resurrected, and ascended to the Father probably in the year of, you know, somewhere around 29 A.D. Well, wait, I thought it was 33 A.D. because he lived to be 33 years old. Well, we, we kind of goofed up on the dates. The scholars goofed up on the dates. So Jesus was actually born four years before the birth of Christ. I, it's, it's the new math. I mean, just go with it. So John writes his book somewhere around 90, 91 A.D., and 60 years later, you know, from, from the time of the events that happened. This is a cool thing about John. His gospel will be so different than the other gospels written. You know, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, the, their gospels are so much the same. In fact, they're called the synoptic gospels because they are so much the same. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it kind of shows us the, the perspective of going, okay, these guys agree about what was happening. Um, you know, but, but John's gospel is always studied separately because it, it's so different than the others. The majority of the stories are, are completely different than the other three gospels. And, you know, are his, and his take is, is completely different sometimes than the other gospels. It doesn't mean one is better than the other. It just means a different perspective, a different view of this. And I think that had to do with John actually writing his own gospel later in life and he's reflecting back and he has a whole different, he, he goes, you know, I know these other books say this, but I want to tell you what I experienced, what I thought. And this is a really cool thing for us. Um, now, some of, this, uh, some of us have taken this to mean that, that because it's so different, there must be something wrong with it. And, and that is not true. Uh, he went from being the son of thunder as a, as a young man to being the disciple of love as an old man or as an older man. And, the, you know, the gospel just really represents this, this particular gospel. And this gives us hope, you know, as I was talking about earlier, especially for, for those that are young or those that uh, I feel a little older. But we find ourselves changing because John's life is such a great example to the, uh, you know, for us in this point. The book of John is also one of the easiest books to read, and you're going to enjoy this. Um, this is the book that we give to those that don't know Jesus. 
This is a book that, that, that when they say, well, what does being a Christian mean? You go, okay, here's the book of John. Because it's so easy to, to understand. If you read this book and the book of Romans, you really start to understand Christianity. You really underst- start to understand how Jesus wants us to be transformed, to be looking more like him. So how is this guy who has no formal education beyond the age of 13 and, and uh, you know, his bar mitzvah, which, you know, all good Jews would go through. I mean, they would have the education up to that, and then you were out in the workforce. So, you know, it was around 13 years old that, that he, you know, in a sense, graduated. Now, he still would have went to synagogue in uh, Capernaum, and I, I got a couple of pictures from our trip there, and, you know, th- this place is still there. It's really cool. Now, th- this is actually um, a 4th century church built on the foundation of the 1st century church. And the first century church would have been the, the basalt down there, the, the volcanic rock. So, I mean, we're, we're, you know, it's really cool to think that, you know, the sons of thunder ran around in this place and, and dad chased them down and disciplined them for, you know, being the sons of thunder and, and so forth. So it, it's really cool to imagine that. And it's the same floor that Jesus would have taught on. The same floor. So how does this kid, you know, so full of vinegar, uh, vinegar, meet Jesus as a young man? He was a fisherman, and Peter was one of his partners. They had a great business going, multi-boat, boat, you know, thing going here. And, and for that time, I mean, that was pretty good. And uh, fishing on the Sea of Galilee, having a great time. And here goes these boys with Jesus. Jesus comes along and says... Follow me. And they actually do. And he kind of leaves Zebedee, you know, the dad, kind of in a bind. Because here goes James, John, and Peter taking off on him. So he kind of leaves them in a bind. But then again, I'm sure the Lord took care of him. So, well, that's a whole other story. But, but you know, he leaves Zebedee with the boats. And here goes the boys with Jesus. And later on, he writes one of the deepest but simplest books of the Bible, which would be the book of John. The depth of this book is just so amazing. John writes so differently considering his education. Now Luke opens up his gospel, and, and you know Dr. Luke. You know He's a Gentile hanging out with the disciples later in life, and he, he goes and interviews a lot of people, and he, he goes and talks to a lot of people, tracks down the stories, and almost like an investigator. And then he comes along and says, you know, my gospel is accurate because I interviewed all these people as he was writing the book for, for some people, you know. And, and he was not being haughty about that. He was just saying, okay, mine's accurate because I went and interviewed. I went and found out the facts here. You know, it's just a fact. But John comes along and says, you know what? I was an eyewitness to that. I don't need others. He comes and says, I am the eyewitness. You know, if you read 1 John, you know, it kind of also includes the other disciples in this being an eyewitness thing. And that's kind of big of him, uh, considering his personality and so forth. But he says, we beheld his glory. We touched him. We saw him. We felt him. We, you know, we felt the glory of the only begotten son. And it was so amazingly. Let me tell you about it. That's his story here. And even though we walked with Jesus, he entered into a revelation of who Jesus was and who Jesus is and who Jesus will always be. He understood that revelation of God on this earth. Now, when we say the word revelation, and I know I'm kind of going all over the place, and we'll get to the scripture here in a second, but I want to kind of give you the totality of who John is. We say the word revelation, we automatically think of the book. And we know that John wrote the book of Revelation, 
on the island of Patmos as he was being exiled there by the Romans for, for really being a Christian and not worshiping the, uh, worshiping Caesar. They tried to literally boil him in oil, which is really a rough way to go, you know? These guys get the oil hot as they normally do and they put him right into it and, and, but John, he didn't die. So they finally pulled him out. He's like, well, guys, I'm not your fondue today. I mean, I'm just, you know, I try to put some levity to it because it's so gruesome. It's so painful what he had to go through and, the, and what he would look like afterward. So they exiled him and put him on an island because they really persecuted Christians back then. As Americans, I don't think we quite understand this until we go to, to another country that's really anti-Christian. And I don't think we get an understanding of that. Because, you know, we're like, oh, I'm being persecuted. Not really. Do you know that it's estimated that over 180,000 people lost their lives last year because of the belief in Jesus Christ around this world? 180,000 people. Yet we're, we feel so persecuted sometimes. And, and, you know, this is not including those who, who lost families or were kicked out of school or, or couldn't find work anymore. All because they said, I'm a Christian. And all of a sudden they were alienated. So John was one of those who was persecuted. But he didn't die. So they put him on an island full of crim- criminals. This is kind of like, uh, you know, Mandela, uh, you know, what South Africa did to him. They put him on an island with criminals. This is like Australia. For a long time, Australia, they, sh- uh, you know, they just shipped over people that we didn't want, you know, they didn't want. Britain just said, we don't like you. We're going to put you on this island. Kind of like America was for a long time, you know, our founding fathers. Uh, They were oftentimes just put on boats and shipped over. And that's how, you know, America started and so forth. They didn't want those people. But John here, he starts with a revelation. But not of the future. Not what we think when we hear that word, but of the past. Let's look at the scripture. John 1.1 In the beginning was the word. This is John talking about his buddy Jesus here. You know, I I could imagine the first few weeks of them hanging out, you know, he probably thought he was a really great rabbi or a really great teacher. And any religion that defines Jesus that way has never really understood who he was. Jesus was before time. Jesus invented the concept of time for us. In the beginning was the Word. The word beginning means origin. It sounds like the book of Genesis, doesn't it? How does Genesis start out? In the beginning. It doesn't sound like the other Gospels. This Gospel takes us all the way back to the beginning of time. Then it will take us all the way into the mind of Christ in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. And to the prayer life of Christ in chapter 17. And then into the future and the resurrection. It is a powerful book. It will take us a while to get through it, you know, but it's an incredible journey that will change your life. Verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him, nothing was made, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of the men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, on one hand, this is very easy to listen to. Not always easy to read, but very easy to listen to sometimes. I mean, especially when you compare it to me trying to read through Joshua and all the kings, but, you know. But it's also so deep. 
you can see how a child could go, okay, yeah, he was there at the beginning. And you could also see how a genius would look at this and, and really think it through and say, Jesus was there at the beginning. You can see how a child and a genius could come up with this. In the beginning was the Word. Now watch this. What he's going to do is he's going to give us some theme words. And then he's going to really switch really quickly to other theme words. And he's going to do this throughout the book. You know, and, and I, I often wonder, how did he learn to write like this? I mean, he was a fisherman. Have you ever seen the show, Deadliest Catch? How could, I mean, you know, sometimes fishermen, now I'm fixing to go fishing in Canada, so I should be quiet, you know. But sometimes fishermen aren't always the brightest guys. But then again, they are. John is just so amazing here. How could he write, you know, like this? Look for the key word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What was the key word there? Word. And another one there. God. He was, he was in him, I mean, he was in the beginning with God. In case you forgot about the beginning, we're going to repeat that. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. What was the key word there? Made. You're going to see this throughout the book. In him, verse 4, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There's great flow to this book. There's like a logical pattern to this book. Now let's go back and look at some of these words. In the beginning was the word. Beginning is the origin of all things. Not to be confused with after time began, Jesus was born. This is what a Jehovah's, uh, Jehovah's Witness would tell, uh, teach you. And this is false. When you said the said word or word of God to a first century Jew, they thought of the sp- spoken word of God, the word logos or logos, however you want to pronounce it. Like Psalms, by the word of the Lord, the earth was spoken. That's where their mind would go. Or Isaiah 55.10, the word of the, of the Lord goes out and will, it will not return void. Or the prophets, and the word of the Lord came to Obadiah. Or the word of the Lord came to Amos. They thought of the spoken word. So when you came to this, the, came to this word logos or, or word, to a Jewish mind, they're thinking of the spoken word of God, something living. Now, the, you know, this is great and everything. But John, the last two decades of his life, hung around with Gentiles. He didn't hang around with Jews anymore because they were all being spread, uh, spread out. You know, he didn't, it didn't stop being Jewish, but Jesus came along and, and completed the Jews, and John understood that. But most of them didn't track with what Jesus was and what he was trying to say. Did you know for over a thousand years Christians were called to persecute the Jews because the Jews were called Jesus killers. That's what what Christians were called to do there. And this was really not God's intention. God's intention was that Jesus came to draw all men to himself. And he came to the Jews first. He didn't reject them. They rejected him. But there were a few. There were those that understood what he tried to say what he was saying, who he was, who he is, and who he would be. They got that. And he allowed them to be the sons of God, to become a son of God. The Jews would say to a Christian, 
You have no right to say that you are a son of God because I am the son of Abraham, not you. You like my Jewish accent, I know. But I'm just saying that, that they would say you have no right because I trace my lineage back to being Abraham, not you. How can you call yourself a son of God? And we do that because of what Jesus did because we understand the revelation. And Jesus and John would say, you call yourself a son of Abraham? Big deal. Because they will want to kill him for saying that. And they eventually will. See, we, we think of Jesus and we want him to be all sweet and everything. But we also have to think about his truth-telling part. We also have to, to see where Jesus was very so straightforward. You call yourself the son of Abraham? Who cares, Jesus would say to them. The amazing thing is, Jesus really, really rarely acted like what we think a modern-day Christian would act like. Jesus sometimes was up front and in the face, and, and sometimes that surprises people. Because, you know, New Testament, New Covenant, is supposed to be all God is love. Well, God is love through truth sometimes. And I'm not saying go out there and beat people over the head with the Bible. You know, I'm not saying that. But sometimes he was so truthful, and people didn't know what to, they didn't know how to respond. They didn't know what to say, because all of a sudden it's just like... Okay, he got me there. How do I deal with that one? That would be their reaction. But John is going to come to, you know, with softness and say, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word here comes from the Greek, not a Jewish word. Two-thirds of John's life, the Christians were spread all over the world. They didn't stay in Israel. They were dispersed. John was at a school in Ephesus with Paul that attracted great philosophers. Because they, and because the Christians are completed Jews, uh, they, they were there and, and they would begin to talk philosophy more than religion. And the reason was because that was what they were trying to reveal to the people. Were, through philosophy, they were trying to reveal the Lord to people. So they would have these debates in Corinth or, or Athens with these, these super just unbelievable, you know, just really, really smart men. And to, to, you know, they would, they would do this to get away from the bad religion of the world because what they came from was bad religion. Because the Jews turned their religion into bad religion. In other words, it was all about the things and it wasn't about God. It was all about the ritual and it wasn't about God. So not all religion is bad, but they tried to get away from that as they went out to spread the word. So John would talk to these philosophers who would either sit there and listen or they would start debating. And they would get away from this bad religion and, 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 uh, you know, so, so so you have these, you know, Jesus freaks in a sense out there talking to intelligent men. And they were giving their lives over to Jesus, these men. You keep talking about Jesus and it starts to sound like the word logos. And the reason why I'm going through this is because it's so important for them. What John was doing was taking a word from the culture of the time and revealing who God was to them. And oftentimes we'll see our young kids, you know, they, they're so weird, aren't they? Junior hires and high school, well, especially junior hires, they're so weird. I used to be a junior high pastor. But it's so interesting because what youth pastors do is they take the culture, the good parts of the culture, hopefully, and that's what we try to do here, and we try to reveal, reveal Christ to our young ones through that culture. And as older generations we go, I, no, I, I don't understand that. Well, that's because you're a little older. Because the younger ones are looking at us, even me, you know, at the age of 38, going, I, 
I don't understand him. I mean, at Spirit West, well, we won't go there, but they, you know, they love to laugh at me, and it's kind of fun to joke around and stuff, because they just don't quite understand my sense of humor. I, I don't know many people that do, but, but still, the youngers don't always get what the older people get, and the older doesn't always get to uh, understand what the younger get. But here, what John was doing was revealing through the culture who God was. Logos is an important word. Logos means this, calculation, or reason, or source, or speech, or instruction, or mandate, or order. Logos was a thing that you approach logically, a lot like our mathematics today. Now, philosophically, there's a thing that kind of ties the whole universe together, and that's what they, back in Greek culture, called logos, the thing that, that binded everything together. So there was this thought pattern that there was something out there, and we're going to debate this philosophically to try to figure it out, because there's something that binds everything together, and we just, we're, we're trying to figure out what it is. And John comes along and, and, and uh, says, let me reveal what you think this creative force is, which sustains the universe. See, Logos to a Greek was huge to this culture. It was an underlying thing that, that made everything relate, made them relate to each other, but also to creation, to the stars, to the skies, you know, uh, this is what their, their thought pattern was. Now, they would laugh at us today. Why? Because our world, you know, is trying to come up with some concept of creation called the big thing. And it has everything to do without logos, without that unifying thing. And so the, the first century philosopher would look at us and go, that's just weird. They would say the universe was, was held together by thought. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't necessarily agree with how they think it was all done and everything, so don't think I'm going off weird or everything. You know, my, my beliefs come from the Scripture, okay? I'm just telling you what the first century thought pattern was. But here John is, this is where he was heading. John was saying, you know, you want to know Logos? I will show you Logos. It was my buddy who took me fishing, who knew nothing about fishing, yet we caught more fish that day than we ever have. He is the guy who walked across the top of the water, who had dominion over the earth. He controlled the storms. He raised people from the dead. He healed people. Even his enemies were amazed when he talked to them. That's who Logos is. That is who I am talking about. And this former you know, fisherman would stand toe-to-toe with the best philosophers of the day. The closest thing that I believe in the 20th century that we got to this kind of thought was Albert Einstein's thoughts on physics and mathematics. Einstein, you know, quote, wasted the latter years of his life by working on, on something that he couldn't get anyone else to agree with. Uh, couldn't even get him to agree that it even existed. It was called the unified field theory. And the conclusions that he came up with, they didn't work. They didn't really fly. Uh, but I'm really not concerned with the conclusion. I'm really starting to... Uh, I, what I'm concerned about is the same questions the Greeks were asking. But he came, he came from, from a mathematic perspective. He was saying, there is an equation out there that ties everything together. The equation you know, has power, and again, I don't necessarily agree with this, but this is the closest thing that I can, can tell you to relate to this. 
But this power would, would be able to unlock things so we could start to understand it. A thing that ties everything together. And, and that was the problem. He was looking for a thing and he was ignoring the creator of that thing. He couldn't decide whether the biggest things or, or the smallest things affected the universe more. Now, he died with this question unanswered, but I, I would have bet he would know that answer now. But physicists, 50 years later, are still asking the question, and they call that now the string theory. So let me tell you... Well, okay, no, I won't go into the string theory, because I don't understand it either. But what they were trying to do, and what they're tr- still trying to do, was find logos. Men are still looking for what... It is that created the universe, that sustains the universe, and they will continue to do so. And it's right in front of their face. It literally is. All they have to do is open their eyes and open their hearts to it. See, we're very impressed with these guys that are so smart, but I'm more impressed with the people of like the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul. Why? Because in the first century, with a first century Jewish education, they were able to discover, they were able to figure out what was going on. Something that the 21st century physicists can't figure out. Listen to Paul in Colossians 1.15. He says, He being Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things consist. Jesus is that unifying force that they are looking for. And and you will miss it if you try to answer with your mind, if you try to use your mind to discover it. Because your mind and your heart have to work together for you to ever be able to figure out who God is. It's not one or the other. They have to come together. And it's not understandable without faith. Reason will only take you so far in your search for truth. And I've been through the Smithsonian exhibits in Washington, D.C. And I tell you what, it takes more faith to believe in the leaps of faith that they take than it does to have the simple faith of saying that there is a Creator and let me worship that Creator. And that Creator sent His Son. To me, it takes way more faith to believe in what the Smithsonian says over and over in in our our books. And in fact, one of the uh, one of the moms was their kids were they're learning about tadpoles and frogs and all that. They get like, if you want a frog, go talk to the dice arts. They have like twenty four tadpoles that are growing right now. They got a little pool for it and all that. But they went to the to the library and got books on tadpoles, and they're reading through it, and it starts talking about the you know forty billion years ago. So now mom has to explain the kids what the world view is and what the godly view is. It's just amazing. Um, it's just everywhere. So John calls him logos. Now, if you're a list type of person, you need to start making a list of everything John calls Jesus. Because by the end of this book, it will be very long. So I don't know if you're like side of the margins of your Bible or, you know, heaven forbid you use those blank pages in the back of your Bible to take notes on or something like that. You know, so start making a list because it's going to be huge. Circle them or add them to the margins, you know, whatever you want to do. Because the first word here is logos that he calls them. God spoke and time began. God spoke and there was man. Then he, uh, Nuame or Numa, 
He breathed life into him. God spoke and he came. And he injected himself into our world for 33 years. And he went to the cross. And on that cross he spoke again and said, It is finished. And those are the words. That, when those words were over, he opened the door for us to enter into eternity forever. Where someday God will speak and time as we know it will end. And then we will begin this, this endless time with our Lord. And this is so unbelievably deep, deeper than any you know, Eastern meditation uh, thought that you could ever go off on. You know what this tells me? The junk and the crud that I go through and that you go through, the relationships and the health issues and the financial issues and this issue and that issue and I'm mad at my friend and they said this, all those issues really don't matter. The constant battle with sin that we deal with. Someday that will end and I will get to rest and it will be a peace that surpasses all understanding that Alan has, much less than anybody else has. And because of Logos, I've entered into the beginning of this already. And because of Logos, I'm sure of this. And I will not die not understanding it like Einstein. I get Logos. I get the unified theory. I get the string theory. I get the thing that holds everything together in this world because it's Jesus Christ. But I will die not understanding how big this is. Because the more I get to know Jesus, the bigger He gets in my life. The more I get to know Jesus, the more amazing He, come, you know, he begins to come. You know, I grew up with the churchy Jesus. I don't know about you. That's how I grew up. You know, little baby Jesus. Growing up with the guilt. Oh, I, I sinned again. You know, all those things. Because it was all about, if you don't live your life right, you've got to go... Da, da, da. And the more I study, the more I know about Jesus, and the more I go to Him to confess what I've done wrong, the more freeing I become. And I'm so thankful that I had a youth pastor that at the age of 18, he told me, Alan, go out there and find Jesus, not church. Don't go find church. Because church will lead you down a path of rules. Go find Jesus. And when I think of that man, I think of all the fun we had, all the jokes that we pulled on each other, all the trips, all the Bible study, all the prayer times. I thank God for him. But mostly I thank God that he told me about the relationship that I could have with Jesus if I just opened my view a little bit more. And not the church Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See how fast we're moving along here? Now, just so you know, I've kind of already planned out how long this will probably take us. It was somewhere like 40 weeks to get through the book of John, somewhere like that, give or take 10 or 12. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you got Logos down. Did you catch another? Jesus is God. Well, yeah, of course, Pastor. I mean... <laughs> This is church. Come on. Well, don't take it for granted. Look at the society that we live in. Oh, I respect Jesus. Oh, he was a great man. Right up there with Gandhi in my book. Don't ever stop saying that Jesus is God. Because even churches have stopped saying it. They almost take it for granted. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we're going to see through the book of John, we're going to start seeing the Trinity. You know, John is giving us more than, than just teaching. He's showing us the Holy Spirit more than I think any other writer. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, it says, he was, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made. Nothing was made that was made. Here's another title. Creator. He's he's Logos, the Word. He is God. He is the Creator. Jesus Himself is the Creator. It was in Him was life. That's another title, life. In Him was life, verse 4 says, and the life was the light of men. Life is another title. Four verses, four titles. Now we won't take time to, to really, you know, go into this word right now because you know he uses it like 50 times throughout this gospel so it's it's an important word but we're not going to cover it today but jesus even himself calls himself in i think chapter 14 i am the way i am the truth i am the life life is zoe in greek and the life was the light of men and here's your fifth title light jesus is light why would we need that Because we live in a dark world. And there's little pockets of light everywhere when you're a Christian. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. This is a picture of New York that I was able to take last year. One little light shows up amazingly in this city. That is like a Christian in a dark, dark world. When you allow your light to shine, when you allow Christ to come out in your life, when you allow Him to change you to look more like Him, you light up like one of these lights in one of these buildings. And when darkness overshadows the world, people see the light, and what are they attracted to? Light. That's why homes that are robbed are usually dark homes, not homes that are all lit up like a Roman candle. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Comprehend is such an important word here. And, I, I, and again, this is another word that I don't have time for today. So I'll say a couple of things, and, and this is where we'll start off next week. But the darkness did not comprehend it. And if you have an amplified Bible, this is a great sentence to use it on. Because the, the darkness cannot understand it. it it's katalabana, uh, katalabanan in the Greek. And what it really means is that darkness cannot con- you know, gain control over it. Darkness cannot extinguish it. You know what? There will be times in your life when darkness will overflow you, overshadow you, and it will seem hopeless and depressing. And this one Scripture is the Scripture that will get you through it. It will sustain you. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not extinguish me. Nothing is going to extinguish me because Jesus is in me. And you're going to dig in your heels when life hits you like a train. And you're going to go... When this attack is over, I'm still going to be light. When this attack is over, Jesus is still going to be active in my life. And I refuse to be extinguished. You know, we're like New York City. We're going 24-7 with the light of Jesus. It was and is and always will be. The darkness tries to take over. And you are in despair. But when you get out of your depression... 
you start to realize that we're a lot like Times Square, full of light. This is like 1 a.m. in the morning. It's like daylight outside. And that's how Christ can be in your life when you allow Him to take more control over. When the light gains control of your life, it can be amazing when the darkness gains control of your life. But guess what? If you have Christ in it, the darkness cannot contain, cannot comprehend, it cannot totally overshadow you because you have the Holy Spirit, which is light in your life. And even though your body might feel like it's extinguishable, you know, you are not. You cannot be put out. Now next week we're going to talk about some of the ways the world has tried to extinguish Christianity in the last 2,000 years. But the most important thing is this. The light that lights the heavens comes from the beginning. And that light is in you. That light is in me. And that is what the darkness cannot comprehend. Can't comprehend God. That is what we're up against. If you shine your light in this world, more people will be able to understand and comprehend God. Because darkness cannot. But if you show them the light, it will change those you work with, It will change those that you celebrate holidays with. It will change those in your family that you don't want to go see when you go to holidays. It can change lives when you allow it to shine. So I say let your light shine. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your light. Four verses, there's just so much. And we could just keep going because you reveal so much because you were in the beginning, Lord. You were the Word. Your word, Logos. You are Logos. You're the light of my life. In those times when, when the world tries to overshadow me, when that darkness comes into my life, I can hold on to you because you're my sustainer. You're the one that I put my faith in. You're the one that I put my hope in. You're the reason why I get out of bed in the morning because you've given me that life. And I pray, Lord, that I live that life you know, to the fullest that you want me to. I'm a sinful man, Lord, and I thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I thank you for loving me enough that you came down into this world, not to just die, you could have done that in one day, Lord, but you came down to experience what I would go through so I could look at you and say if that I could do it myself because you've given me the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, Lord, I pray that in the middle of this dark world, that you allow our light to just shine amazingly bright. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, and you reflect that light in this dark world. May His face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.